Well, good morning again, everyone. I'm so glad you're here on this Lord's Day. Thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as we're preparing to hear the Word here in the Worship Center, let me offer a warm welcome to everyone who's joining on the live stream on TV in our contemporary worship service. I'm really glad that you're all joining us today. Now, why are we looking at 1 Corinthians 13? Well, it's been a part of our chapter a day readings this last week. We finished up the book of 1 Corinthians 13, and we've begun the book of Judges in the Old Testament. So if you've not joined in that journey yet, hope you'll pull out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to join, uh, join in with hundreds of us as we're reading the Lord's word every day and applying the truth of his word to our lives. I hope that you'll join us. Now, did you notice on the outline today that the message title from 1 Corinthians 13 is called A More Excellent Way, Learning to Walk in the Way of Love. Now, as, as we prepare to look at this chapter that is sometimes called the love chapter and that is all about love, I want to ask you a question. I want to know if I were to ask you to just list, oh, I don't know, two or three or four or five songs that you know that you've just sort of absorbed across the years through your journey that have love in the title or they're in the chorus, or love is in the bridge, or it's in the phrase of the song. You may not know all the song, but there's just a line you sing over and over again, and it's got the word love in it. I guess what I'm really asking you today is do you know any love songs? Do you know any love songs today? I see a few not, so I think I'm gonna let you help me today. So. Um, I'm just going to come down. You're just going to raise your hand, and you're going to tell me a love song, and uh, I will. I, I, I want to hear it. And if I do, I'll repeat it, and let's see what kind of love songs we know. Somebody tell me. What? Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me Jim says. That's a great church answer, is it not? Right here. <laughs> yeah, that's a great church answer. Jim teaches uh, fourth grade boys, and uh, when little boys, Growing up, they need to know. They need to know. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. One of the very first songs I ever learned, and that's great. All right. What about another love song, Cheryl? Love me tender. Love me tender. <laughs> now, for a guy who grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi, can't you just hear the King Elvis Presley himself? Singing, love me tender, love me true, all my dreams fulfill, for my darling, I love you. <laughs> Actually, the one I love's over there. <laughs> and I always will. That's a great one. Love me tender, Cheryl. I, one. I love that one. Yeah, what's, what's the one? Love hurts. Love hurts. Now, you're talking about killing an illustration. That'll do it right there, will it not? Now, can't you just hear the guitar screaming in the way? I mean, love hurts. Oh, well, the truth is it sometimes does, does it not? Somebody else, a love song I'm looking for. Yeah, what? Silly love song. 
Oh, a silly love song. I know that one too. Yeah, that, that. it's kind of a nice little fun uh, melody line. You sing a silly love song, sort of raise your spirits. I love that one. Yeah, somebody else. Yeah, what? Love is in the air. Yes, don't you feel that today? Love is in the air. I love that one. Yeah. All you need is love. All you need is love. Yeah, I love that one too. Somebody else, tell me another one. Anybody in the upper deck know any love songs? Anybody back here? Give me a hand and tell me if you know any love songs. What? I'm not seeing any. Come on now. I'm going to stand right here until you tell me a love song. Yeah, go for it. What? Love will keep us together. Love will keep us Oh, I love that one too. Uh, I don't remember who sings that, but man, I love that one. It's got a nice little bouncy tune to it and love will keep us together. Did you know the Beatles wrote songs that have the uh, word love in the title? In fact, there are nine or 10 love songs all in the 60s that topped out number one on the charts. I, well, if you look it up, she loves me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I knew you knew it, <laughs> even if I didn't sing it very well. <laughs> she loves me, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could just go on. In the early service today, while they were doing some throwbacks, you know, love is a mini splendored thing. Uh, I, I, I can't remember all the others they were throwing out there, but, but like you have. So what's going on with this? There's just song after song after song after song. And we celebrate love. We sing about love. We want to we wanna hang on to love. We want to describe what it feels like. There's something in the way God made us. Every one of us. That wants to experience and know something about love. So isn't it interesting now, then, that when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, guess what? Guess what it's all about? Start to finish. Only has 13 verses. It's about love. It's poetic. It's lyrical, it's been set to song. Now, usually when we read or hear 1 Corinthians 13 about love, usually, what's the place you have heard a portion of 1 Corinthians 13 at least? Where is it? At a wedding, when a marriage occurs. That's exactly right. And that makes perfect sense to me. Why? Because you've got a husband and a wife that are making a lifelong commitment to love, and they want some of these words about love in the Bible to be read in their service. But now, if you've tracked along with me through 1 Corinthians, you know that there is nothing in the immediate context of 1 Corinthians 13 that's about marriage or about weddings. You say, well, if, why is it in there then? Well, here's the reason. This little church was about three to five years old and things were going off the rails. 
They were choosing up sides. They were pledging allegiance to different leaders. They were developing factions. They weren't upholding moral standards. Even when they were pursuing spiritual gifts, they were pursuing spiritual gifts with a self-focus. And so watch this. Paul writes about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 And when he finishes up, he says, but now let me show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way is the way of love. And then having exhorted them about love, 1 Corinthians 14, he says, now if you will embrace love in the church the way God intends, then here's the way your worship services will look. Here's the way you will relate to one another. Division will turn to order. Chaos will turn to peace and harmony. Division will turn to unity. And that will occur when we re-embrace love. So, let's take a look at it, shall we? There, There are three movements in this chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, Now, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So what is he doing in this first paragraph? He's establishing The primacy of love, the preeminence of love, the essential nature of love, the indispensable quality of love. Simply put, he's talking about the importance of love. So write him five things quickly that he teaches us in this paragraph. It's on page one of your outline. Paul is teaching us, number one, that love is more important than what I say or how I speak. That's in verse one. Now, probably what he's referring to when he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, he's either referring to the gift of ecstatic utterance or foreign language that needed interpretation, or he was referring to a kind of uh, intoxication with eloquent oratory that just proliferated in the culture of Corinth. People were just captivated by speakers who had a high level of fluency and uh, vivid language. And so uh, Paul says, now wait a minute. What you say and how you say it is not as important as it being infused with and informed by love. Right in number two, he says love is more important, first part of verse two, than what I know. He says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, he says, but have not love, I am nothing. And then right at the end, the end of verse 2, he says, love's more important than the strength of my faith. He says, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, Paul is actually describing something with hyperbole language here. He sort of, and you get that by noticing all the times the word all appears. Do you see that? 
He says in verse 2, if I understand all mysteries and if I have all knowledge and if I have all faith. In other words, he's saying, take it to the nth degree and just assume the person has all of that. He says, even if they do, if they don't have love, it amounts to nothing. For, write it in, love is more important than how much I give. It's in verse 3. He said, if I give away all I have, all I have, there's the all again. I gain nothing. And number 5, he's saying, love is more important than the sacrifices I make. It's at the end of verse 3. He said, if I deliver up my body to be burned, in other words, if I become a martyr for the faith but have not love, I gain nothing. You know, whenever you read that, you, you, you got to see what the Apostle Paul is saying to that church and to us. He's saying the first thing you need to know is that nothing is more important than love. I think we ought to just say that, uh, that summary sentence out loud. Could you just re- repeat that after me? Nothing is more important than love. Let's say it together. Here we go. One, two, three. Nothing is more important than love. So this afternoon, some of you are going to play golf on this beautiful spring day, and uh, somebody in the group is going to say, hey, did you go to church? Yeah, what did they talk about? I want you to say it in a single sentence. Just tell them. What is it? What, what did we say? Nothing is more important than love. Some of you are going to be out for lunch today, and somebody's going to say, what did they talk about at your church this morning? You're going to say it one more time with me. Nothing is more important than love. Now, now, Let's be careful to note what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that what we say and how we say it is unimportant. Nope, it is. The scripture says we'll give an account for every idle word and the tongue has the power of life and death. But he's saying as important as what we say and how we say it is, love is even more important. He's not saying that knowledge is not important. He's not not advocating ignorance here. In fact, we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. He's just saying as important as knowledge is, love is more important. He's not saying it's good to have weak faith. He would be for us having strong faith. But even if we have the strongest faith, he's just saying love's more important. He's not saying that giving is not a good thing. Giving generously is a good thing. He would just say love's more important. Making sacrifices, good. Love's just more important. So if that's true, and it is, then it would be really important to know what love is. So in the next three or four verses, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, the apostle Paul defines, describes love, tells us what love does and what it does not do. I want us to read this aloud. Everybody in the room, everybody in the contemporary service, everybody online, everybody on TV, let's read it aloud. Just four verses. It begins, love is patient. Let's all read it aloud together. Are you ready? Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so having told us how important it is, the Apostle Paul says, this is what genuine love looks like. Now, in these four verses, there are 15 verbs. We're not going to have a chance to dig in deeply to every one of them. We're going to dig into a couple of them. But I think it would be great if we just made them all into a personal question to ask and then do something of an inventory where we say, okay, how am I doing in that? And take the inventory, take the test, and then talk about it with someone who loves you, your spouse, a family member, a friend, somebody you work with, somebody you go to church with. And then I think our goal ought to be that wherever we are, whatever our love level is, the goal of today ought to be that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, by his grace, working in our hearts, would be to raise our love level, right? I mean, whatever your love level is, we're praying that it's going to increase. Reminds me of the story of a guy and his wife. They were about to split up. They came to see their pastor and you know, uh, they were prepared to tell him that they were going to split up because they had just lost that loving feeling. Whoa, 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 whoa. And, <laughs> and uh, they really wanted him to say, it's okay. If you lost the loving feeling, go ahead and split up. And pastors are prepared for these sorts of things. And so uh, the guy comes in, explains the situation, and the pastor said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says uh, you ought to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And the guy pushed back and said, well, that's too high a level for me. That, that's Jesus. I can't do what Jesus did. The pastor said, okay, well, the Bible says you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. You think you can just love her like you love your neighbor? And he said, I think that's still too high a level for me. The pastor said, well, the Bible says love your enemies. How about you starting there, huh? And so whatever your love level is today, let's ask the Lord to raise it a little bit. So what's the first question we should ask? The first question is, am I patient? Am I patient? So what does that mean when it says love is patient? It means that I should not have a short fuse that I should be long-tempered, that I should be slow to take offense, I should be slow to retaliate, I should be slow to punish. Instead, when love fills my heart, I should slow down all that mechanism that makes me want to amp up and fight back and somehow engage in a way that's going to express my displeasure. Some of you will know the name of Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy was a football player and a football coach and coached in the NFL at a high level and is now a, a host on one of the NFL TV programs on Sunday and a commentator there. And he, he recounts what he learned from his dad about patience. He said his dad, Wilbur, loved to be outside. He loved to fish. He loved to be at, out in creation and contemplate, listen, marvel at God's handiwork. And 
Tony Dungy recounts one day when he and his younger brother, Lyndon, he says he was nine, Lyndon was five. It was the summer of 65, 1965, in Michigan, comfortable temps, clear blue skies. We were out fishing. He said, my dad had taken us fishing at one of the many lakes around Jackson. And on that day, my dad was teaching my brother and me how to cast. And so he said, there we were learning how to cast our hook out into the water. And we were both working on it pretty hard, mostly in silence. Tony Dungy says, until my dad's voice finally broke a period of stillness. And he called out, Tony Dungy says, my younger brother's name. Hey, Lyndon, don't move for a minute, please. And uh, Tony Dungy says he looked back and watched his dad move his hand toward his face, and then calm and deliberate, he continued to speak. He said, now, Lyndon, um, always make sure that you know not only where your pole is when you're starting to cast. And Tony Dungy says, it was at this point that I realized my dad was working my brother's hook out of his own ear. And he said, as my dad just walked slowly toward my little brother, working it out of his ear, he said, make sure you not only know where your pole is, pole is when you're starting to cast, but also make certain that you know where everyone else is around you. And Tony Dungy said, I learned something about casting that day but I learned something more important about patience. He said, it was years later, I was out fishing and I got hooked myself, but I hooked my own hand and I realized how much it hurts. And when I realized how much it hurts, I looked back and remember how my dad was. Calm, communicating clearly, teaching through the moment, he said, I will always remember my dad's patience that day when Lyndon's hook was caught in his ear. Where are all the dads and husbands, the men around the room? How's your love level? How's your patience level? What would those in your family say? And then did you notice the second characteristic? He says, love is patient and love is kind. So write it in. We should ask ourselves, am I kind? Now, let me just ask all of you in the room who are married, do you have any idea why Paul put patience and kindness at the top of the list? Well, I think you do. In fact, the apostle Paul often put these together when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And then what are the next two? Patience. Kindness. If patience is a godly yet somewhat passive response, kindness leans forward. Kindness engages. Kindness moves toward the other person. Kindness is merciful. Kindness is generous. Kindness is understanding. Kindness is considerate. Kindness notices, cares, and acts for the good of the other. 
Our church ought to be a place where week by week, large group, small group, every time we're together, patience and kindness just fill the atmosphere. And it ought to be true in marriages as well. John Gottman is one of the world's leading researchers on marital relationships and um, Some of his research is very interesting. He says, if you want to know the number one factor in terms of just relational patterns or habits that tears couples apart, guess what that number one factor is? It's contempt. People who focus on criticizing their partner, seeing all that's negative in their partner, giving their partner the cold shoulder, ignoring their partner, responding minimally to their partner, disrespecting their partner, diminishing their partner, treating their partner as if they are worthless and invisible, as if they are not there, not valued. When you treat someone you love like that, it'll kill. It'll kill the relationship. And it also, the research shows, kills the partner's ability physically to fight off viruses, cancers, contempt. Being mean is the death knell of relationships. But now let's flip that over. Guess what else the research has shown? It's shown that kindness is the glue that holds couples together. It's one of the most important predictors of marital satisfaction and stability. When you make your partner feel cared for, when you make them feel understood, when you make them feel validated, when you make them feel loved, when you're merciful, when you're generous, when you're understanding, when you're considerate, when you're noticed, when you make a plan, when you move toward them with all that kind of spirit about you, it is life-giving to your mate and to the marriage, to the whole dynamic. No wonder in the church and in our marriages, Paul says, love's patient and love's kind. Just just look at the other questions he says we ought to ask. He says, I should ask, am I envious? Am I all the time jealous and coveting what I don't have? Do I boast? Am I a braggart? Do I always make a parade about myself and what I'm doing? Am I too anxious to impress? Am I arrogant? Am I proud? Do I put on airs? Do I cherish inflated ideas about my own importance? Am I rude? Does my tone or manner communicate in a way that dishonors and disrespects others? Do I always insist on my own way? Am I irritable? Am I easily angered? Am I touchy? Do they always have to treat me with kid gloves? Am I resentful? The NIV puts it, do I, I should keep no record of wrongs? Do I bear grudges? Do I keep a record? Do I rejoice with wrongdoing? Number 11 is, do I rejoice with the truth? You see, love's always on the side of the truth. Love's never on the side of sin, evil, and wrongdoing. And then Paul asks these questions at the end. Do I bear all things? In other words, 
Am I willing to forbear some things and put up with some things in order to love you? Do I believe all things? It doesn't mean that you're naive or gullible. It means you're just not suspicious or cynical. You give the benefit of the doubt. Do I hope all things? Do I, do I see the best in people and what the potential is? And do I endure all things? That's the last one. It means, am I willing to persevere and be steadfast even during the hard times? That's the kind of love that ought to exist in our church, ought to exist in our marriages, ought to exist in our homes, ought to exist in our lives. So then let's see how he wraps up. In verse 8, he finishes by saying then, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I, came, I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So what, what's he saying? If in the first paragraph he said, here's how important love is. The second paragraph, he says, here's what love does and doesn't do. And in this last paragraph, he speaks to the permanence of love. So write it in. Unlike the other spiritual gifts, love will last forever. We'll take our love for God and for one another all the way to heaven with us. Love will never end. And number two, he's indicating here that love is an indicator of spiritual maturity. And you know, if you're just a child, if you're just an infant, your love level's probably pretty low. But isn't it really just a disturbing thing to see a person who is biologically, physically an adult, but their love level is still like that of a child? God wants our love level to increase. And then Paul finishes, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. He's saying that love is the defining characteristic of all who follow Jesus. Jesus put it this way. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so how's your love level today? I'm praying God is, by his grace, by his spirit, going to increase mine, going to increase yours here in our church. And this ought to be a fellowship of love defined and described like the scripture puts there. Now, I, I need to say just a couple of things before we're done. Somebody's going to say to me, but now, Pastor, is, is that all in that chapter? Is that all that the Bible has to say about love? And the answer is no. Let me give you just a couple of for instances. Um, the same guy who wrote 1 Corinthians 13 also wrote 1 Corinthians 5. And in 1 Corinthians 5, he said, you guys need to embrace some tough love. There was a guy in the church there who was sleeping with his daddy's wife, his stepmother. 
And he was not repentant of it. He was proud of it. And the church was putting up with it and was proud of the liberty that he, liberty that he had. And Paul said, you guys, look, if he's not willing to repent, you need to exercise some tough love. Remove him from the body. Similarly, in the letters to the Thessalonians, there were some who had come to believe in Jesus and they thought he was coming back within a week or two or a month or six months. And so they just quit working. They just quit. They just sat around and talked about the Lord coming and they were sponging off of everybody else in the church. And when Paul writes them, he said, y'all need to exercise a little tough love here. And then he gave them this saying, if a man will not work, he will not. Do you know what it says? He said, look, we can't have this irresponsibility. And so no, 1 Corinthians doesn't say all the Bible says about love. Sometimes there is to be tough love. But that's a message for another day. Today, I want you to take 1 Corinthians 13, and I want you to live with it this week. Ask the questions this week. Do the evaluation this week. And then say, Lord, I'm willing for you to change me and raise my love level for my own good, for the good of my marriage, my family, for the good of our church, for the glory of your name. Can you say amen to that today? Sure, I'm glad y'all responded that way. Because if you hadn't, I was going to be a little irritated about it. In fact, I was going to write it down and keep a record of it. I was going to bring it up and throw it in your face next week. Get it? Good. Let's pray. Father, all of our loves have become disordered at some point. We've all fallen short. And so I want to say, please forgive us. I want to say, please forgive me. And Lord, by your grace, by your spirit, would you raise my love level? For my own good, for the good of my marriage, for the good of my family the good of our church, for the glory of your name. And Lord, I pray that the love light of Christ would burn so brightly in us that it would be winsome and attractive to those around us and would draw them toward you and toward faith in you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.